Welcome to Gin and Tantra, Spirituality with a Twist, the podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese Medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing I want for. You to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. All right, so we've done the whole inflationary thing, but we haven't gotten to the idea of how this has created multiple universes yet. So mm-hmm. we have one version of multiple universes, which is if the universe is just really, really big, then there's probably some other version of you out there in an infinite universe doing something similar to what you're doing now just by the statistics of it right just by the statistics of infinity but in this inflationary thing the idea is that there was this initial big bang and our universe a little expanded from the little little tiny thing many 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 times smaller than the most small type of subatomic particle to size of a marble and then it like kept going but at a slower rate but the idea is and this is kind of a trip and it's it's a pretty it's, it's, a, it's a deeper scientific dive, but it's really fascinating. So this expansive energy, the way this is thought of when you get a, a multiverse out of this is that that expansion produces our big bang, but there's a bigger force going on. There's this kind of like energy throughout the whole, I don't even think you'd say universe anymore. It's just this thing even before our universe and our universe pops out of it. But as that thing keeps kind of expanding, it's not just our universe that pops out of it. There's other universes that keep popping out. So Brian Green does it kind of interesting. He says, if you imagine like a steam room, you know, you're in the sauna and like the steam is coming through. In some places that steam will start to cool down and there'll be like a little pocket in the steam. Yeah. And by this analogy, that's a universe <laughs> like ours. And then someplace else, you know, uh, there's another place where a pocket starts to cool down and then that is another universe. And so the te- steam keeps expanding and these little pockets here and there, the little universes pop up. And that's basically one of the big ideas of multiverse, right? That as this steam, which is the energy that initially made our Big Bang happen, as it starts to keep expanding, it also starts to create the conditions for these other Big Bangs. And now you end up with a multiverse. It's a trip, actually. There's a correlate to sound waves also, right? Because sound waves are, are sine waves. And for those who don't know what sine waves are, it's just it's just a repetitive um wave that when you graph it there's a you know a flat line like on a piece of paper that you would draw and then the wave kind of goes above the line and below the line above the line and below the line like a wave and then an inverse of that wave so an n and then a u and they're kind of connected to each other like it almost like looks like an ekg if you know what that looks like so if you had like a pendulum going back and forth it creates a wave that's consistent right yes yes exactly um but when you have sound waves in, in a confined space. So meaning if people for this, how it relates is that if you're in your room, all right, which is a confined space and you have some speakers positioned on one side of the room and then the other, like surround sound or just a couple stereo speakers at different points in the room, there will be louder spots and softer spots because at some point those sound waves are going to collect, they're going to clash. And at some points when they clash, they actually increase the amplitude, they increase the sound in this case to how, it, how, how we hear it. But then at other points, at other nodes, they'll call these, they will cancel each other out. And so there won't be anything or, or relatively less in that, particular, in that particular sound. So if you have, in, in this scenario, if you have energies that are expanding, when they kind of coalesce in, with each other, you might have a more, uh, an increase in density in a certain area that might give rise to more creation in that spot, if you will, and then less in other areas. Yes, I think it's cool to do the wave thing because we're going to do a little bit of uh, quantum stuff to try to talk about many worlds, you know. Um, so the whole wave thing is like huge there too. So it's cool that that got explained even before we got to it, right? I think the idea in this expansive thing is that there's a little fluctuations in the underlying quantum energy. It jitters and jitters and jitters. And yeah. then in some places it poof, goes poof. And then voila, you have a universe, you know. So it's like a scientific thing. You might say, well, how will we ever know if this is even happening? Because it's kind of like you're supposed to imagine this steam rushing out or sometimes Brian Greene talks about like a giant piece of Swiss cheese 
where each each hole is a universe. <laughs> but if you look at it, you know, all the little universes are separate from one another. So how would you even know if there was another universe? And, you know, he does talk about this, you know, Brian Greene's, a, you know, kind of famous uh, physicist, string yeah. theorist and cosmologist out of MIT. Yeah. And he's been on Joe and, Rogan's podcast several times. Yeah, yeah. He's a cool listen, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to, you can just do a little search on Brian Greene, even on YouTube. He has videos where he can explain to you more about this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the basic idea is that, you know, at some points, if one universe is expanding faster than the other universe is sort of like flying away from it, maybe they'll hit. So that would be one little bit of evidence for how this could happen. Mm. But like in general, it's kind of a weird theory because it's really hard to know. Oh, yeah, we're in, we're in deep scientific speculation. Well, but, but, but everybody's it, here everybody's here you know the, it's not like we're just out here as some spiritual dude speculating on this this is just where physics is at the moment but to yeah. bring it bring it out i mean even in the, even in the nomenclature or the not the nomenclature the naming of it right uni verse one yeah yeah right maybe that's even incorrect in and of itself well i mean i think the idea is getting to be like our little our little what we were calling universe it's kind of like the old adam thing the atom's the smallest particle until you break it Right. Well, there's a bunch of stuff inside of it. So, you know, maybe this whole expanding sauna steam thing is the universe, and we're just one little tiny part mm. <laughs> within this bigger universe. That's the real one. And we're just was the little, we're the little atom, you know, within it. Yeah. Super random. Do you know anybody named Adam that spells their name A T O M? No. <laughs> okay. Me neither. Listeners. Oh, no, I do. Scratch that. There's a <laughs> scratch that. I think I have one. You'll have to fact check me on it. But there's a great Canadian uh, film director, Adam Agoyan. I think he goes A-T-O-M. We can, we can fact check that after the episode. He's great. If you haven't seen any of his movies, this is, you know, like uh, G&T coming through. Yes, that is cinematic, correct. Very cinematic good. Cinematic hookup for you. <laughs> Adam Agoyan, he's a stage director. Yes. Yeah, we're, all, we're always trying to help, you know? So, uh, yeah, he's made some pretty great movies. It, they're, they're intense. Uh, he has this really great movie called, I want to say, uh, Exotica, maybe? Is hey, of course, of all the ones he's made, you're going to yeah, know. Yeah, that's the one that Exotica. I'm going to know. <laughs> no, but it's great. It's really great. There are, like, lots of scenes that take place in this bizarre strip club, but that's just a coincidence to its greatness. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's really kind of profound. Yeah, you know, it has a, it's, it has a sexy part to it. A lot of his movies do, but they're actually not just about that. They're actually yeah, he quite emotionally done, intense. He hasn't done much much lately, but uh, Exotica is, is one of his, you know. Yeah, for, if you're a cinephile and you want to check out something cool, they're definitely great movies if you haven't had a chance to see them. And uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, he did do one with Ryan Reynolds called The Captive. Yeah, I've never seen it. I think uh, maybe Amy Adams is in one. Uh, who knows the sweet hereafter maybe i think that might be her in that he did make um that anyways kevin, just, kevin bacon <laughs> is in that one and kevin bacon's uh, in every movie <laughs> well a certain time period he was now he's in nothing but there was a time he was in everything now he's good in it and uh oh shit who's the other guy now ah, hit me later but anyways there's some famous actors in his movies too he's not like just pure indie anyways good movie. good question for the listeners uh <laughs> do you know anybody named adam who spells their name a-t-o-m we got one, but that's like, you know, so far, that's he's a universe of Adams, just one. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is kind of the idea of this. This is, gets us to a different idea where there's different universes. And the other trippy thing about this, before we totally kind of get into our other version of a multiverse, is that each of these little pocket universes within this big Swiss cheese grand universe um uh they all could just have like even different laws of physics inside of them which mm. is also kind of a trip so there's nothing to guarantee that these other universes would look similar in any way they might have you know different basic fundamental physical laws or if you know the idea of like physical constants like there's this thing called big g which is the force of gravity within our universe right or the speed of light is a certain way or whatever these the kind of things that you know the properties of an electron or you know subatomic particles, maybe in these other universes, these things are just different. And it's kind of like implied in the theory that this would be the case. So that's kind of interesting too. And I suppose from a certain Buddhist point of view, that has a Buddhist vibe to it, or you know, probably a Taoist vibe, you know, that you'd have other places within, if you want to use the word creation, that are just mm -hmm. different than our place. Very, like very different. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know, I suppose part of what we're doing here with this is like, sometimes you hear these ideas of like, 
parts of creation that are supposed to look entirely different. You're like, well, that doesn't seem very realistic because the universe is lower where we live now. If you start thinking about other universes that have completely different physical laws, they would look randomly different than ours, right? And uh, randomly, they would look randomly and radically different than ours. <laughs> radically. And Ra radically. Random and radically both, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the random things kind of matters a little bit too, because that's a little bit how our universe then is explained, you know, why is our universe the way it is, you know? Well, mm -hmm. it's just one of many, and there's probably other ones that, you know, have different features. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a, and in a certain sense, there's a, I suppose, a kind of a randomness to that idea too. So random does fit in there too. Mm. So that's our other big, and that's our other big multiverse, right? that version going on uh so that's a cool thing uh do you have anything more on that one that's interesting to you before we go through and look at uh look at our um our other one that you seem like you're good to good to, to do it so okay so that was version number two our next version is and our our last version so we're doing the kind of the three major ones you know is what's called the many worlds theory and before you do it, let's just highlight that the three so that we can kind of recap yeah. before we so go Yeah, so we forward. have the universe is infinitely big. So just by just the size, you're going to get multiverses, right? If you just keep like combining the elements in every possible way at some point or another in an infinite thing, these are going to, they're going to combine the same way again. Right. Infinite possibilities yeah. could mean that one of those possibilities is repetition. I mean, I think they almost say it would have to be just by infinity, right? You're just going to have to get that combination. Right. There's no way around it. Right. The only thing that's kind of interesting from a Buddhist perspective is I think people always think you're just going to come back to this particular earth, but maybe you're in, we were joking about being in like DC comics or something. You just have all these different earths running around mm -hmm. <laughs> another earth, you know, where flash is a bad guy or whatever the hell it is <laughs> as far as the comics go. But now flash could never be a bad guy. No, that's not true. He's been a bad guy. He's been a bad guy numerous times. Oh, is that true? Yeah, for sure. Barry Allen, not, not, not Barry Allen, but Wally West. Oh, no shit. I didn't know that. You go deeper dive than that than me. I'm so. in it. <laughs> All right. So look at that. Like every possibility will happen. Um, There's actually, so DC just finished a run called Dark Knight's Death Metal, where uh, there's like hundreds of versions of Batman Oh, really? Yeah, Batman. All different kinds of Batman. You know, so for example, Batman becomes the Flash. Under shit. Okay. Batman becomes Doomsday. Batman becomes the Joker, right? Batman becomes oh, the- Oh, that one would be interesting. Batman is the Joker. Well, the, so so that he is the one who ultimately almost takes over the universe because it's just a, such a combination of, of insanity and, uh, you know, I don't know, intellectual prowess. Un Drive un unmatched. And like, like, yeah. Drive and madness. Yeah. Yeah. But there's one that's really cool where actually Batman is the city of Gotham itself. So he died- and somebody did a seance and put his spirit in the city. And so like at one point it's fighting and it's like composed of all these different buildings, you know, like shaped like a big Batman, which is cool. But my personal favorite is baby Batman and Batman dies and they put his consciousness into like a, another, a, another being, but that being's a baby. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying not to laugh this whole fucking time. You've been talking about this because it's so awesome. Yeah. But now, so, now I couldn't so help it. Batman is a baby, but he's actually a baby, you know? So like, he's just crying. He can't, he can't talk. He can't do anything. Eventually he figures out how to make himself like a suit. And so that he flies around and fights in this suit. He's a little baby on the inside of this suit. It's hilarious. <laughs> Creativity. I they do that kind of shit. Yeah, the creativity is, is awesome, dude. Yeah, but it does show something about Sign of the Times, too, because the Spider-Man multiverse movie came out, too, right? Where he was like a pig, and he was like a, yep. another guy, and he was yep. like whatever was going on there. Yeah, this is, a, this is a lot. This idea is out in the culture. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right, that's a trip. <laughs> Maybe Batman. I love, the, I love the Batman as the whole city, too. Oh, yeah, you there's know, a lot, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, eventually we'll do a longer thing on all of this. But I love yeah. those ones where they go to those mystical places. It's always mm -hmm. like, it's so cool to me. It was mm -hmm. probably when I was a kid that sort of affected me even a little bit. But, you know, we'll save those conversations. But Well, I mean, this you know, is a mystical place. Young, you know, and you're like, ooh, cool. There's some, some dude up in the Himalayas who can come back from the dead and he leads a, an evil gang of ninjas or whatever. <laughs> uh, Ra's al Ghul, right? Right, and now they just have a dude who doesn't die who leads a monastery. <laughs> Cake. Hamolama, uh, Hamolama, that's his name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, so this is the next thing on this is many worlds. So this is associated with this guy named Hugh Everett, Everett. And he's actually quite a character. He was in a, the, the circle of great physicists as a grad student, you know, back in the 20th century. So Eric, before you do the many worlds, yeah. the, the second one, what was it? What oh, was the... oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So the second one was what we just did this idea that there's this expanding kind of outward pressure that's going not just producing our universe, but producing other universes, right? Mm -hmm. They're all kind of expanding away from one another. Maybe they could crash into one another and we know what's happening, but it's sort of implied within some of the mathematics and some of the ideas of certain. Yeah, okay. Theory. Yeah. So infinitely large expanding forces and then many worlds. Yeah, many worlds is, I mean, it's one that we say for the last because it's probably, yeah. These are all trippy, but this is probably the trippiest one of the whole thing. Sure. Okay, so it's associated with this dude named Hugh Everett and he was, again, a grad student in the circle of these great physicists like uh, Niels Bohr and, uh, um, you know, other people within that, uh, that time frame. And there's these mysteries within quantum mechanics and Everett, I guess a little bit, talk about gin and tantra, powered apparently in an, an evening of intense sherry drinking. <laughs> and he was a bit of a drinker and a bit of a cavorter. He seemed to be a little bit of a, as the Chinese might say, a free and easy wanderer. Sure. Um, and uh, a little bit of a troublemaker. Actually, it's weird. He died at 51, apparently. I was just- he died, Yeah, in, yeah. in uh, 1982. Yeah, but he apparently in a night of, apparently just a brilliant person, you know, and he actually didn't go into the sciences in the end. He kind of took his degree and went into like, sort of like in maybe like a, a, like the corporate sector and like weapon and the governmental sector. He actually didn't become a scientist, but he threw out this theory empowered by his own gin and tantric night of like intense sherry consumption mm. <laughs> with a couple of friends. He just, I, I guess this idea came out that maybe what happens is, is that the universe is constantly splitting like all the time. So it probably explain why anyone would think that was a thing uh, as we go through. So to get this, it takes a little sciencey background for all of these things, obviously. So here we're talking about the Schrodinger equation the real famous Schrodinger equation. And you might have heard about the famous Schrodinger's cat, which will come up as a kind of a, a piece of this, but this is this famous physics equation. And what is it looking at? It looks at um, the behavior primarily of like subatomic particles, mm -hmm. but since, and uh, you know, and, and atomic particles. So it's, a, it's a, a way to describe, well, what you would call the particles that make up the universe, but we're gonna give you a twist too, because none of these particles actually exist. <laughs> so, okay, we'll get there. But the idea is it's an equation that really talks about the behavior of, of um, particles and waves, right? Um, and uh, it was created to help describe, you know, experiments being done on subatomic particles. And uh, so anyway, so that's, this, is, this is this big equation. And um, one of the odd features of this equation, if you're not familiar with it, is it has answers that are probabilistic it doesn't exactly tell you where an electron is going to be. It mm -hmm. tells you the likelihood of finding the electron within a certain range of places. So if you, go, if you had any of this back in school, you might've heard this idea of a cloud of probability back in some science class you had. We gotta make sure we make break his, you know, as, 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 as much as we can break it down, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if you look at like, in, like a, um, within an atom, you have all these electrons that are going around the atom. When we're back in school, we're kind of taught like the atom is like a little universe, right? Or a little solar system. You know, there's a system. nucleus in the center and these electrons go around. And that just isn't true. That's just something that they tell us back in school. That just isn't true at all. Instead, what happens is this electron is in what's called a cloud of probability. Sometimes it's like not like a little ball at all. It's just like this little uh, wave-like thing that can be found in this certain area. So this is one of the trips of the Schrodinger equation and what's called quantum mechanics, right? This idea that things that you think of as being little particles actually don't exist in definite places. In a certain sense, they exist kind of smeared out in this case within like a cloud of probability. And they're not in any particular place until you sort of poke. Once you poke that, um, that uh, little particle will show itself in some particular spot. And when Eric says poke, he means view. Yeah. If or interact with it. Or interact with it, it'll collapse. So we're gonna like try to go through all this thing. You know, to what you were talking about earlier, um, Daniel, it's really interesting because 
it is the exact opposite of a Newtonian world, right? Yeah. There's this really famous thing called Laplace's demon, which is this idea that if a demon could know under Newton, old school, the way thinking, if a demon could know the position and velocity of every particle, it would know everything about the universe, right? Because that's all there is, you know? But uh, as Laplace's demon has gone into the, the, the garbage heap of history, people have started to realize that, no, the universe doesn't work that way. It's a different kind of universe than what we think. And so one of the big like, things with this Schrodinger's equation is that it doesn't predict exact positions for things. And in the end, it probably doesn't have exact positions for thing, exact position for things at all, right? Stupid things demon. Like, he doesn't know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let let's do that. Let's do that. So a, a good example is the, is Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, the wave particle duality, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, so there's so, the famous cat, yeah. and there's the wave particle duality, right? So on the wave particle duality, one of the trippy things about nature is that. Um, if you take something that you think of as like a little particle, like a little electron, right? Sometimes it will seem to behave like a little particle, what you would expect, right? Like a little ball, like a little marble. Yeah. Sometimes though, it will behave like a wave, you know? So like, it'll look like it's supposed to be in some definite spot. It'll behave like it's a wave spreading itself out over, uh, you know, just a, uh, a wider distance. It's not in any particular place, kind of like a wave in the water. Mm -hmm. the electron seems to operate that way or like a sound wave like we talked like i talked about earlier yeah and this is a trip obviously because it's right. both it's it's both yeah sometimes it'll behave one way sometimes it'll behave another way if you like a little buddhist philosophy this is called dependent origination under certain circumstances it behaves like a wave under certain situations it behaves like a particle if you flip it and you'd say something like light normally we'd think we talk about light as like waves right? And for a long time, human beings thought about light as just being like waves flowing through. Actually, it's flowing through the ether that Daniel was talking about earlier. You know, there were these waves going through this ether, and that was light. But at a certain point, and our boy Einstein is the person who really kind of finalized this, was the idea that sometimes light, which everyone was pretty damn convinced was a wave, seems to sometimes behave like a particle. So there's this weird thing called wave-particle duality. Things that you think of as being waves will sometimes behave like particles. Things that you think of as being particles will sometimes behave like waves. That's the trip, right? And so- They sound, um, they sound naughty. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they're, uh, they embody all qualities, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a kind of an amazing thing. And if you think about you know, the world around you, it means that when you're looking at things that you think of as being material objects, in a certain sense, those things are wavy, right? And some of the other things that you think of as being wave light is the big example here. Mm -hmm. It's actually sort of like particles too sometimes. So this is the classic kind of wave particle duality thing that, you know, uh, is described by Schrodinger's equation. Schrodinger's equation is a way of trying to, to predict how these little particle wave things behave. And actually it's like, you know, the most successful scientific equation ever produced, right? It's like never wrong. And it's not just like it's never wrong. It's like right to like ridiculous degrees of accuracy. So it's not just like right to like two point nothing. It's right to 2.0013789, you know, a bunch of numbers. It's like trippy accurate. But, but how, did, about. how did his pussy get involved? <laughs> Where's the cat come in? Yes. Um, so this was actually, this is kind of a weird story, but this is like Schrodinger's way of trying to talk about um, uh, how this, how his own theory is kind of crazy and probably not entirely right. <laughs> so the Schrodinger's cat thing is based on this really bizarre kind of scenario that Schrodinger writes about uh, where he describes you have a cat in a box. In that box, you have a vial of poison. There is a, uh, a radioactive uh, substance. Radioactive substance also in the box, right? So it's radioactively decaying, right? Killing the cat. It's we're, ultimately, can you think, going to kill the cat? <laughs> we're not against killing cats. It's a thought experiment, not an actual one. I'm definitely a cat lover. So I didn't write this thing. Actually, it's kind of bizarre that he wrote it this way. It's really <laughs> odd. Like, why would you come up with this shit? I don't know. <laughs> Schrodinger's kind of a weird cat, too, uh, like <laughs> in his actual life. Yeah. I don't know. So anyways, at a certain point, this thing is going to decay. And when this thing decays, it's going to trigger a little switch that's going to drop this hammer on this vial of poison and kill the cat. 
So, but the idea of Schrodinger's cat, kind of like the way you don't know if something is a wave or a particle until you look at it. The idea is you don't know if the cat is alive or dead until you look at it. So his idea is that until you open the box, the cat in a way is both alive and dead at the same time. <laughs> That's the Schrodinger's cat. Now, actually he wrote that not to say physics is so weird. He wrote that to say, our theory must be wrong because our theory is like saying that a cat is both alive and dead at the same time. You know, how can the thing be a wave and a particle at the same time? There's obviously something we're not understanding, right? <laughs> you know, and you know, it's basically like walking up to something and saying, until you open the box, this cat is uh, neither alive nor dead. All of us would like basically say, no, dude, that's not true. <laughs> the cat is one or the other. I'm not making the cat alive or dead by opening the box. You know, why he came up with this one, what kind of like, uh, I don't know what he would have been on <laughs> to produce this example. Would that would ayahuasca produce that, Daniel? I don't know what would produce I that. I don't know. Probably, is it an absinthe vision? Like I what, think. What did I that? think this would be probably more likely LSD. But I, I don't know when he came up. What year did he come up with that theory? Oh, uh, it's like probably in the 30s. Yeah. So I don't think they had. Um, I don't know what they had around that particular time because LSD wasn't synthesized until after that. Yeah, I don't know. Something happened weird that gave him this example. And he kind of like Hugh Everett, he's another wild dude and probably a little bit of a dick, but um, anyways, we'll save his bio for another, <laughs> another occasion. Anyways, this is what we're all taught back in school. There's kind of a trip about this um, because actually even this idea of wave particle duality has been replaced. And I think it's just cool to share this and it'll give us a chance to talk about many worlds. So there's this thing now called quantum field theory. This is like the cutting edge. And even as a physics interested, per, interested person, I never heard about this back in school. And I didn't even really think I fully heard about it till a few years ago. So if you want to look at where physics is now, actually, you know, to be honest, I teach some classes about physics for um, Chinese medical students. And I had to like update all my lectures just to acknowledge this. So state of the art now is that what Schrodinger's equation, the thing we've been talking about really is it has nothing to do with particles at all. It's just a prediction. It's equation that shows waves. And actually everything is just waves. There are no particles at all. All that's really happening is there's these waves that are going everywhere and where these waves overlap in the right way. If you look at them, particles will appear, but in general, none of the particles exist at all, you know, and it's, it's even uh, crazier. It's even crazier. <laughs> so if you look at all the different possible little subatomic particles that exist in sort of the fundamental aspects of physics, like little electrons, or if you know what a quark is, a quark is a little particle that's inside of other particles. Like there's quarks that people think of as making up like things like neutrons and protons and stuff we learned back in school. Those things are break apartable into other little quark-like things, which is a funny name for a thing. Uh, so, but anyways, if you look at any of these little fundamental little particles like that, they are all just grand waves that occupy all space their fields occupying all space. Uh, and so there's like a little quark field and there's another little quark field. And when those fields ripple in a certain spot that will create the illusion of a proton appearing. Kind of like what Daniel was talking about the sound waves in your, listen to your speakers, you know, when you're, you know, you got that flow in, right? Um, you know, when those waves hit, that's what actually makes a particle appear if you measure it, <laughs> but mm. actually they're just waves like flowing through all of space, uh, you know, kind of rippling and then they overlap with one another and voila, if you look at it, you'll see a proton and voila, if you look at it, you'll see like a neutron or something. That's a trip actually. And if you like Asian philosophy, that's just fucking awesome. <laughs> Cause the whole thing is just fields of rippling energy. Wow. So Eric, you threw this, term out earlier and i think this would be a good place to kind of fit it back in um a couple times dependent origination which is a, a you know underlying all of this we're, we're sort of secretly working over there anyway so yeah it's like it always rears its head dependent origination so this has popped up in any conversation where we've talked about oh here's the scary buddhist word again emptiness right or shunyata uh so i think we have it even all the way back in episode one it first cropped up it always crops up so dependent origination is this idea that everything is sort of made up of the factors that bring it together. 
if we look at about ourselves as living things, we're made up of all kinds of different things. We're made up of our, all of our little genetic aspects. We're made up of all of our different experience aspects. We're made up of our physical body, but if we want to get a little bit more tantric philosophy, right? We're made up of the energies that connect and like are associated with that body on a more subtle level. Well, the different aspects of our spirit or in Chinese medicine, sometimes I like, to, I like to use the word Shen, which I just think is a great word, right? People can relate to that, you know, the parts of our spirit and our mind and all these things come together to make us, you know, what we are. So we're not made up of like one particular thing. We're a dependent origination of all these different factors coming together and then out pops us, right? And the same is true of almost anything you look at, whether it's a scientific theory, like Daniel was talking about earlier, what's Newton's world? Well, Newton's world is like a product of that time. People had certain experiments, certain ways of thinking, certain ways of looking at things. That's a dependent origination. You know, it just popped up at that time. And now the time of that particular dependent origination is kind of like transitioning over. And that's not the right way to think about the world anymore, right? We don't think about particles occupying certain spots. Now we're thinking about some weird shit like there's fields everywhere that are waving. <laughs> and, you know, but I think what Daniel's getting to too, which is like right on the nosy as per usual with Daniel, well, what's a proton? Well, it's actually a bunch of fields. It's three different fields that all wave together the right way and overlap and then create this little proton-y looking thing, right? It's a dependent origination. So I think that's Gaelic Rinpoche's point. If you can get this stuff, well, then Buddhist philosophy seems easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, you have, if you can let someone tell you about like expanding cheese universes and steams and saunas and whatever. So Buddhist philosophy is like, well, that seems actually like not only relatively easy but also kind of like kind of dead on at the core you know when the dalai lama talks to scientists this is really interesting because there's lots of conversations that you can kind of get in book form i haven't seen it like there's probably our videos too but i certainly it's a lot of his books of, of him talking to scientists and he always kind of drops this dependent origination thing in because he actually thinks it's going to be a little helpful for the scientists too just to get that idea into their heads as well he's like you're you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I came from the mountains of Tibet just to drop this phrase on you that will help gonna, you understand your stuff. I'm going to help you out a little bit. I've never really been in a lab before. Um, I don't even know what a Bunsen burner is, but um... no, actually, for like, like again, for our cinema people, there's the movie. I think it's by uh, Martin Scorsese called Kundun, which shows oh, the Dalai yeah. Lama's early life, and he's actually a little bit of a science junkie, even in Tibet. So apparently, you know, in the mountains of Tibet, they had like, uh, you know. Um, movie cameras and stuff that he would like be playing around with trying to get them to work. You know, maybe they even built a car or something. <laughs> so, you know, he was like, seems to be a mechanically inclined dude and interested, which I think when he finally got out, you know, more exposed to the Western world, he, he loves talking to scientists for sure. Like he's genuinely interested. Yeah. Oh, uh, we've had two, we've had two, we've had two, we've had multiple comic book recommendations <laughs> and we've had a couple of movie recommendations. Good for us, G and T. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, it's this whole idea. So the, the idea is that the Schrodinger equation, the way it's thought of now, what it really is, is a big wave equation that just shows how all these waves behave that make up the world around us. And in a certain sense, if we talk about optical delusions or illusions, you know, make up what look to be the, ma the material things that we're seeing around us is actually just the overlapping of these waves. What a trip. So uh, we're still not totally into many worlds. So uh, the many worlds of this Hugh Everett guy we were talking about earlier, the weird thing about this theory is that um, when you look at the Schrodinger's equation, it doesn't tell you exactly where, like we said, an electron is going to be at any given moment. It just gives you a range of possibilities. You got a 90% shot of finding it here. You got a 5% shot of finding it here. You got a three over here. You got a two over here. That's how the equation works. And this has been like a controversial point in physics for like a long time. And like, I think the controversy is still not over. So this is the parts where people are trying to propose, propose solutions to this range of controversy. You know, what does it mean to have a mathematical equation that doesn't give you a definite answer, but just says, okay, this electron is in these multiple places. When you think about it as a wave, it just means that it's a wave and it has a chance of like finding that wave more over here or that wave more over there or that wave more over there. It's like, a, it's like a cloud. Yeah, where there's like different densities in different parts of the cloud. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the trippy thing is that this electron seems like it's spread out all over the place until you measure it. And then once you measure it, it seems to collapse to some spot 
right? But it won't tell you exactly what spot it's gonna collapse to. It just gives you the odds that they're collapsing in one particular spot. And this is a point of like, like physics argumentation ever since Einstein and Bohr, people have been arguing about this. Like, what does this mean for like a long time? You know, like, why is it that nature seems to be behaving in this weird way? And this Everett guy fueled by his own GNT sherry concoction, you know, of one night came up with this idea of like, well, I'll bet you what actually happens is it's not like it's 90% one time and then 2% another time and 3% another time and 4% another time. He says, every time you do that measurement, <laughs> what happens is, is every result occurs. The 90% result recurs, the 2% result occurs, the three and the whatever, they all occur. Uh, they just, every time they occur, the universe splits. So if that electron could exist in say three or four different probabilistic places, all of those answers occur every time you run that experiment. It's just that the universe splits at that moment. And so do you. And now there's four different versions of you running around in four different parallel little universes because the flow of the universe split in that moment of that experiment. And now there's a different you looking at a different result, each in a different parallel world. That's the idea of many worlds. <laughs> what do you think about that one, Daniel? Do you like it or not like it? Well, I think people talk about this pretty regularly. You know, I bet there's some other version of me that married my high school sweetheart, you know, or something like that. And I bet there's some other version of me who became a neuroscientist, you know, something like this. But the question that I've always had about this theory, because I, I oh, think for, for movie purposes, that's the Gwyneth Paltrow movie Sliding Doors. I think that's that one. OK, yes. There we go. Another <laughs> another movie reference. I'll, I'll put movie. Cinematic. I can't necessarily recommend that one. I haven't seen that one in a while. I don't I'll know. Cross, I'll one. cross it off the list. <laughs> I never really put it down anyways. It's probably whack. <laughs> but but I want to like, I don't know. It, it it's it's awesome because just to have that theory is awesome, right? Just the thought in and of itself is awesome. But I think my problem is if it is that then there's, at what point do things split? Does it split now, 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 now? I mean, like, when does it turn? Is it on decisions? Is it on cellular division? Is it on like, like at what point? Only when I, only when I think about it, when I don't think about it, is it unconscious? Is, does my consciousness have an effect over it? Like how many other versions of everything is there out there? Well, it's great that you bring that subject up. <laughs> I'm basing this on one of the guys who's a real big proponent of this. And I would love to actually have him on the show at some point, you know, a guy named Sean Carroll. Now he is a dead on like atheist, oh, he's cool. I like materialist him. person. He's been on Joe Rogan too. Yeah. 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 He's really interesting. Really interesting guy. I, you know, again, I'd love to have him on the show because we're not against having an atheist scientific person on the show too. We want to have everybody on the show. Right. So, you know, hopefully at some point we'll reach out to him and maybe get him on, fingers crossed. But I'm trying to do justice to his interpretation of this theory, and he's a big proponent. The reason for me saying all of his background is he's not some spiritual dude at all, yet he's a strong, strong, strong proponent of this theory, right? And actually, he's out there all the time really trying to talk about it, not only with other physicists, but trying to share it with people who are in the non-physics community, too. Like, he's really trying to make it known. So if you're interested in this thing, if this piques your curiosity, he has a book, which I think is called Something Deeply Hidden. Something deep, yeah, that, that's literally the name of the book. Eric didn't yeah. just forget the name. It, <laughs> the book is called, quote, Something Deeply Hidden, unquote. Yeah, I, didn't forget, I didn't forget the first word. No. <laughs> uh, something. something. <laughs> that didn't occur to me, but yeah, that's good. And you can also, obviously, you can do a YouTube on any of the folks that we've been talking about, Brian Green or Sean Carroll, if this, this piques your curiosity, and they'll give you something great about it. Yeah, yeah. Sean Carroll's site is called uh, preposterousuniverse.com. So interesting. Yeah, right? this, I mean, it's, it seems preposterous, but he's like one of the really most hardcore scientific, nothing beyond the scientific world. And yet it like, this is the theory that he's into, right? And he's into it because the Schrodinger equation is such a rocking equation. It's so powerful that his point is, well, and this was basically probably his inspiration for this Hugh Everett, the guy we were talking about in his Sherry-filled uh, inspirations, you know, the idea that uh, this equation is so great, why don't we just interpret it in the most literal way possible? And maybe what the, what the equation is literally saying is that at 
these different moments, the universe splits. Now, Daniel's asking a really great question, which is, well, what, which moments are we talking about? You know, how does this work? So there's like a big um, couple of like little physics-y words to get around this. One is this idea of entanglement. Entanglement can mean like different things, but basically the idea is that if you have an electron that's just kind of hanging out on its own with nothing that it's entangled to, it's not gonna collapse down to a point. It's just gonna stay in this cloud, right? It just sits there grooving along on its own. But if that electron becomes entangled with other things, it will start to collapse. And then all of a sudden you lose this cloud and it doesn't collapse to a definite place. It collapses to all kinds of different probabilistic little versions of where it could possibly be. And so what Hugh Everett was saying, and then Sean Carroll's kind of echoing is that like all of those little, little different possibilities of where it collapses, when a wave function collapses, when it stops being this cloud and when it collapses to a point, that's when the universe splits. Every one of those moments. It's not like the old Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors. I made a decision to, you know, not stay with my boyfriend and go to another character, you know, another character in the movie. That's not the splitting part. The splitting part is when the physical universe, you know, some part that wasn't entangled before becomes entangled. Or sometimes they describe this by this other word called decoherence. So if you're listening to Sean Carroll talk, you'll hear this word come up. You know, that the universe, uh, this electron decoheres, it becomes entangled. The trick is that 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 part of the universe that that electron becomes entangled with, you're entangled with too now, but actually the whole universe is entangled with. <laughs> so it likes, it's like, it's everything goes along for the ride into the new universe, right? The universe just splits, which means it's splitting per what Daniel was saying, like all the time. So Sean Carroll gives a great example of this. He talks about radioactivity in the human body. And how often does the human body kind of have an event like this happen where an electron that was otherwise just kind of hanging out doing its own thing all of a sudden decoheres and the body spits out radiation, you know, which is this wave function collapsing. And it's a trip because the human body does this. I actually didn't know this, but it does it like 5,000 times per second. Mm. So the idea is that 5,000 times per second the universe is splitting just based on what's happening in each of our bodies, which you can see per Sean Carroll's, uh, whatever his website is, the preposterous universe, this is some crazy shit. <laughs> but that's the basic idea. You know, it's this constant, like universe splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting like over and over and over again, right? Driven every time uh, some subatomic particle performs this action of collapsing, the universe splits. And it just doesn't split into one possibility. It splits into every possibility that the Schrodinger equation said could like possibly happen. It's a trip actually, you know? So, I mean, I knew about this, but you know, in doing the prep for this episode, I was like, wow, this is even wackier than like I initially thought, you know, it's like, it's quite interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And in a certain sense, you might say, well, where's the space for all these universes? But the idea, it's not even really anywhere in particular. It's kind of more like information as much as it is, you know, physical stuff. But in any case, they talk about this idea called Hilbert space, which if you like a little bit of math, the size of Hilbert space. Splitting off into, it's like an, it's an amazing kind of a theory. And if you're a spiritual person, I think you have to say like fascinating, right? But um, also like uh, so, Eric, any, say, say any, it again. Say, we we, lo we <laughs> lost a little bit of connection, so just say that. Oh. Say that. Say the Hilbert space again. Oh, Hilbert space. Oh, sorry, I didn't know the connection. Yeah, it's all good. Got a little dicey. So you might say, well, where are all these like little splitting universes at? Like we're yeah. talking about a lot of universes. So per Daniel's original point, well, when does it split? Like all right. the time. All the time. Right. Like, right. Like all five, the time. Like splitting. five thousand per second. But yeah, in each of our individual bodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you say, well, that's just crazy. How could that possibly be? But there's this idea that there's this thing called Hilbert space. And it's a kind of a hypothetical idea, but it's kind of the space that would happen if you just took all the particles of the universe and you just kind of figure out all the probabilistic positions for them all. 
So it's hard to even describe it exactly as a space. It's right. kind of a, almost like an idea as much as anything else. But the size of this thing is supposed to be, if you know a little math, two to the 10, so two to the power of 10, but that two to the power of 10 to the power of 122. So oh. that's gargantuan. So, you know, when Chuck Carroll talks about it, his point is like, you're not going to run out of space. <laughs> There's tons of space, even if this thing is constantly splitting and splitting and splitting. But as far as the decision-making thing, he does do a funny and interesting game with this. He talks about if you do hang a decision of yours on a quantum thing, then you actually really could be living a different life in different universes. So I know we can look it up. I didn't have a chance to look it up when I was doing the prep, but there's an app apparently called the Splitting the Universe app. It was some people from Walt Disney and they went and they put this like uh, app that you can just kind of write in a request to. And you can just ask, say, hey, split the universe for me, which is basically just doing one of these little Schrodinger equation collapses. But if you want to, you can kind of say, well, if it comes out one way, I'm going to ask Cindy Lou to marry me. And if it doesn't turn out this way, I'm going to ask Pete to run off with me to Honduras or something. <laughs> you know, they could like, you could just hang your life decision on the splitting of the quantum of the quantum app and uh, it'll spit back an answer. And then you know that both of those answers came up in one universe, you did one thing and then another universe, you did another thing if this theory is true. Mm. So in one universe, you quit your job and you hit the road and you became a traveling ukulele player. Mm. And in a different universe, you stayed on and you worked your way all up to the middling of the corporate hierarchy. <laughs> Whatever happened to you after that, you know? But apparently it's happening all the time. But I thought that was a really kind of a great idea. You know, you could just go in and write, and then you really would know if this theory were true. That yeah, in one episode, you asked the person to marry you, and another episode, you, you went off and chased your high school sweetheart or something. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how, they, that's how the idea would work. And you'd know that both of those things happened if this theory were true, you know. Yeah. Kind of a trip. Um, Last idea that like hit here just from the Buddhist side, and it's interesting because Sean Kara goes pretty deep into this idea. And it's funny because I don't know if he knows that he's sounding really Buddhist. He basically asked the question of like, well, what's the self then? You know, like, what does that mean? You know, in one universe, you have a self that's doing one thing and another universe, you have a self that's doing another thing. They all started from that original you, dependent origination, right? Um, I think for Everett, he gave the example of an amoeba you know, when an amoeba splits, you get two other little amoebas. Which one is the first amoeba? Well, they're both like, you know, an extension of the first amoeba and then also like something completely different, right? So it's kind of like that way of thinking about ourselves too. It's interesting how it looks like things go back to a lot of these big Buddhist ideas like Daniel was talking about with dependent origination. You know, you go back and, you know, if this is splitting all the time, one version of your energy is going on in one direction, another version is going on in another direction, which one's you? They're all kind of you, or maybe none of them are, right? You know? And so, you know, what we think of as being a solid us ends up being, again, in kind of this weird Buddhist way, kind of like deconstructed, right? Heading in all different directions. I mean, and Sean Carroll, and he's the most sciencey guy in the world, just says this is how it is, you know, in this theory, if this is correct you know, this Schrodinger's equation interpretation. Um, so so yeah. here's, a, here's a question, right? Because I always have this question. So let's say that this is correct. And we have, you know, 5,000 or how many thousand, you know, permutations or mutations per second for our entire existence. And then also infinite existences where we were never born or different versions of us or whatever based on our zygotes and, you know, mom's, ovary type right things happening we'll leave it at that but then we have okay so we're here now let's just so we'll, we'll grant us in this thought experiment we're here all right then i'm splitting and there's all other kinds of me fine am i the the, the epicenter of all of that and if so then if things are dependently originated am i the the dependent origination component to it all and then myself as me since i'm dependently originated on my uh component parts my da -da 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 -da, then what what is there at the at the at the center 
right? Or at the underlying ground thing, right? Wait, is it, is it, wait, you know, and this is a Buddhist, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have an idea, but I feel like it's good to ask. We might both have our own ideas about this. Let's like talk it through a little sure, bit. Sure. Yeah. We have our own thoughts on it. So on the one hand, like in this kind of way of thinking, obviously no individual version of any of us is like an epicenter, right? We're just part of a flow, right? From a certain point of view, you know, when you get to these Asian ideas, Taoist, Buddhist, uh, tantric ideas, you know, they kind of recognize we're all like a flow anyways. You know, in the moment, of course, we feel like, hey, this is me, like right now, <laughs> I'm this guy talking with Daniel on this mic, you know, you're doing this thing. But, you know, if we really think about it, we are a flow. You know, there was a me yesterday, there's going to be a me, you know, whatever happens going forward. You're kind of talking about the time thing, who knows what's going to happen. But, you know, something's going to travel forward, right, one way or another. And so we're all actually kind of this flow. And, you know, that's kind of a, I consider to be a, a, a Taoist or Buddhist or tantric realization to recognize that thing, right? So none of us is like the particular one, right, in any given moment, which is a deep idea. But I also like think about this, I don't know if you think about it this way too, Daniel, but uh, certainly in a lot of, especially in the Buddhist tantras, there's this idea that when you think about you try to visualize the, the spirit or the Shen or the consciousness, you know, whatever word speaks to you, right? On the one hand, we know that's associated with like the experience of this particular body in this particular moment, right? This flow right now. But there's another idea that like latently behind the scenes, even though we don't recognize this in a moment by moment way, this kind of like the electron, <laughs> this spirit is smeared out like a big field over the whole universe. So from a certain point of view, Zen talks about this, Tantra talks about this, you know, all these things talk about this. You know, what we think of as our own spirit or Shen is actually a thing that's spread out kind of everywhere, right? So that, I mean, really does mean in a lot of Buddhist thought that you could be connected in lots of different places to lots of different bodies, there's nothing to say that you're just connected to one even, right? You know, but in any case, we're funneling through one now as far as we could tell, but on some level, we're also like occupying like all the little cheese universes that you want to make up. Mm. <laughs> and every little split, there still is something going on where there's a connection there, but it's not even that specific anymore. And so it's a hell of a question. Is that how you think about it too? Or do you have, you have something else that rolls through your head when this thing comes up? I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought about it. I mean, this is kind of like the question of a creator, right? You know, versus, oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, there's also that part. Because so, so if on one level, if I think that I'm the epicenter, and of course I would, because my ego couldn't, couldn't stand if I was a permutation of a previous version of me, I will find him uh, or her. Uh, but, you know, there's a movie like that with Jet Li called The One, right? Oh, Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What's right, going right, on in it? This is, well, our, this is our cinema reference day. Right. Well, Jet Li, uh, there's a version of him that wants to kill all the other versions of him because when more of them die, he gets stronger. Oh. And there's the last one on Earth, Jet Li, this one here. And so, of course, in Jet Li fashion, they have to have a sweet battle, you know, because <laughs> Jet Li on Earth is also getting stronger as the other one comes to kill him. So, uh, oh, so it's kind of the good Jet Li versus the bad Jet Li. Right? Yeah, for sure. It's like double impact. Good to bad. It's like double impact with, uh, yeah. you know. Um, it's like face off with John Travolta and Nick Cage. No, it really isn't. It's no, not it's, like not. it's not. It's <laughs> not. I just wanted to name that bad old movie. Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of like one of those Asian like uh, martial arts directors, I think. Right. Yeah, for sure. John. They Wu just trade. Like they that. trade faces. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to feel like I'm in the middle of it, but probably maybe <laughs> I am, and I'm not at the same time. Right, as according to the to the equation. But then that's, so that's one part of the question. Then the other part of the question is that like, okay, if I'm composed of genes, right. And material bones and whatever, but then those things are composed of atoms and the atoms are composed of smaller structures. And those smaller structures are composed of smaller structures, which are composed of smaller structures, which eventually become waves or strings or whatever. Let's just say potential. Mm -hmm. essentially I'm not composed of much of anything as I am composed of everything. I guess it's this idea that like, it depends on how you think about that when you put it through the Asian 
tantric, you know, internal computer or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. What answer spits out. And one is that when you look at the physical body, it's made up of all these little overlapping little fields, right? Mm -hmm. And some of those little parts of the field are unentangled, but every once in a while they'll spit out something and, you know, then the universe will split <laughs> and all of your body that's now tied in with that one part will travel along to the, unit, the whole universe and everything else that's tied up with you will do that. That's the trippy many worlds thing, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you're made up of all of this energy that's behaving in these odd ways, right? But then, of course, also in, uh, you know, tantric philosophy, there's the idea that there's all these other levels of energy outside of even the body itself. And then ultimately this level of Shen or something like that, that probably is timeless, spaceless, or you might even say ubiquitous or something like that, you know? So I suppose like when you think about like the, the identity of a living thing, right? You know, it's supposed to have these multiple layers, you know, when you, uh, we both know this, but you know, it's good to sh like to talk about this, you know, with folks, when you do sort of Buddhist tantric meditation, one of the things you do is you try to go back and as much as you can imagine this level of yourself that is timeless and formless and in a certain sense, spaceless, right? Or occupies all space. You try to imagine that for yourself. It's like a daily thing that you try to do whenever you do your meditation to try to tap into that level of yourself. And then, you know, that's a different way of thinking about yourself that doesn't really have to do with just, you know, your body in this moment or something. And how does that, how does that fit in with the kind of things you were thinking about? Is that like within the ballpark? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, eventually we all would like some, no answer is ever going to be completely satisfactory, right? You're going you're gonna to have some level of, of agreeance on something. And then at other points also still consistently want to, to, drive and penetrate if you will you know to what it goes even beyond conception and the problem really is that we are working probably from a finite uh conceptory if that's not even a word a conception model right in terms of our minds and our ability to understand things because we do need frame of references and we do need things to be bought brought forth in a way that we could understand contemporarily, right? How things exist, at least in, in, in some relative analogy, in, in analogically and in, in, in an analogy so that it makes sense. And so my understanding now might is probably different than what it was some time ago, which will probably be different than what it is sometime in the future. And I think for me personally, it's a continual refinement of that particular thing. And I personally have to wrestle with the understanding that I may not fully understand it in this lifetime and that has to be okay. I guess for me, it ended up, we're doing the personal side of this. For me, it ended up being kind of, if I go back, especially in the time machine, when I first started doing my Zen practice really seriously, I was kind of interested in the existential philosophy idea. Sure. No, who knows? Correct. I can't convince other people that the way things appear to me is going to work for them, mm -hmm. which is like obviously a major influence on how we think about this particular podcast. Mm. We throw things out. We want to have guests on with all kinds of different opinions, right? Um, but I, I felt like existentially speaking, because the idea is that you sort of have to make a choice of the different things that you think are interesting. What speaks to you? You know, that's a personal choice. That's mm -hmm. an existential personal choice. And so I felt like I like this ideas in Zen. I like these ideas in Tantra. I like these ideas in some of the other things that we talk about, you know, on this, uh, on this particular endeavor that speak to us. I like these things. And so I'm going to follow through these things because they speak to me. Mm -hmm. you know, just as a personal choice. Sure. You know, this is kind of almost like an aesthetic choice. You know, this, this version of the universe speaks to me, you know, this multi of all the multiverses I could choose from that people are throwing at me. I like this one, mm -hmm. you know, and let me explore this one. And then I think there's this idea that in moments of experience, and, you know, we've definitely talked about this both on and off mic, you have those moments of experience where you're like, wow, I really could imagine myself occupying all this space. Mm. Huh. You know, maybe what this Zen dude is saying is like, right. There's moments where that seems like, you know, very, um, very true. Then, you know, at times you lose that feeling, right? But then the feeling will come back some other time. And uh, so what's happened there? If you totally nailed it in that moment when you're inspired in that way to see things that way, maybe you nailed it, maybe you didn't. <laughs> but, you know, those moments speak to 
at least your version, one's personal version of reality that one's trying to explore and create for oneself, you know? And so that, that you can do, you know, that you can, that's, that's how I feel about personal. Yeah. Like that you can do, you can kind of say, okay, this is my version of reality and my version of reality. If Sean Carroll gets his multi-universe thing where everything's splitting 5,000 times a second from my body, I like a version of the universe where, you know, there's a Buddha nature that occupies all space and time. And I, I mean, if I think about, you know, the intention of doing these episodes we've been doing, that's not any crazier a thought than saying that the universe is splitting 5,000 times a second from no. each of our bodies no. <laughs> into like a Hilbert space. So that doesn't mean I think you have to be caged in by the idea like, well, I have to have like a certain way of looking at the world, you know, because mm. that's what science has told me or religion has told me or whatever, right? I, you know, there's no reason you have to nod along and agree that the universe splits 5,000 times every second. Could be every <laughs> other second, for all we know. <laughs> and not believe in Buddha nature. Like, okay, believe in Buddha nature too. What the fuck? Why not? <laughs> and speaking of which, if you're taller, that second's going to be a, a little bit longer than my second. <laughs> Parts of you will be splitting at different rates. <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm saying. Which part? <laughs> well, that's actually a good question. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, we get that dude on, that'd be a good thing to ask him. Like, mm -hmm. okay, it's splitting. I'm not like, there's no thing as me. I'm just a bunch of particles. Right. <laughs> you know, because my arm be hanging out in some space all by itself, just flapping along <laughs> in the breeze. <laughs> that's right. That's not what the theory says. But no, probably yeah. Not. No, but I, I know I, I, it's, it's cool that you bring that up because that was sort of an answer for myself. But then I felt like it's kind of just exploring. Mm. You know, and then they say, well, you know, here's some ideas, here's some practices, explore and see where this takes you. I think it's the same in the tantras. I think it's the same in anything like this, right? You explore and see where this takes you. See if it makes you a better person. See if it makes your view of the world deeper. See if it makes you kinder. See if it makes you seem like the way that you understand the world goes better. We were talking about this off mic. You're saying you're doing certain meditations lately and you just find like your mind is more clear. Your ideas come more crisp, right? Yeah. You're able to, you know, your ability to tackle them. So, you know, that makes you better. And then you also have, each of us will have these moments where like you have epiphanous moments where you're like, wow, I could see it being possible that every single living thing has a Buddha nature that occupies all space and time. And that overlaps with like the Tao or the divine. It's all just like in one huge sea, like a gargantuan quantum field. Mm. <laughs> all the drops in the ocean are all intertangled with one another, you know, and we're all kind of the ocean. How's that? Like get all poetic on it. But is that any different than saying there's all these fucking fields that are vibrating everywhere? No, not at all. Same idea, right? In a way. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, and, you know, kind of doing our little rap here on it. Yeah. This is why we question. This is the, this is the reason for which we ask the reason for which, why we seek is to figure out which version of this speaks to you, which version speaks to me, which version speaks to Eric. I mean, maybe there are some things that overlap for some and then not for others, but if you don't ask, you won't know. I think it's also the reason why we did this particular set of episodes because we wanted to say like, okay, here's what physics is saying. Mm -hmm. Trip on this for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Here's some gin and tantra for your, that's right. for your cocktail glass. That's Sip this right. stuff for a while. Yeah, yeah. See where that takes you, right? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and then the other part that I think is really good about what, you know, like, you know, as we wrap it up is that like, you know, there might be some, like, there might be some part of this that you think really speaks to you and there might be some part of Buddhist philosophy that speaks to you and you like what Rumi wrote in the poem right and you like the way he talks about love and you know this is what this is personal for me so mm -hmm. okay that's all good what speaks truth to you speaks truth to you right yeah. and that might be a you know truth coming from multiple places on you but in the end that will make up your own gin and cocktail cocktail yeah for sure right? those are all the ingredients that come into the mixed drink that comes out in the end yeah no i agree i agree well uh i think we did it i think we did a good we did a good job here yeah, very. Went on, went on the ledge. Went on the <laughs> and, ledge. Uh, we were like the cat in the box. Were we gonna make it out alive? And we, we went, did. It. We went on the edge, and some version of me jumped. <laughs> and that version that jumped, uh, some of them actually floated away. <laughs> That's actually true. Yes. <laughs> Statistically speaking, some version just flew right up into the sky. <laughs> That's right. And the other version just splattered on the floor. 
<laughs> but don't worry. He has another branch going in another direction. Yeah, it's all before, good, dude. Before you splat out on the floor, another branch broke off and went someplace else. Yeah, Actually, yeah. probably 5,000 of them. The second 5,000, yeah, and a bunch landed. <laughs> Some robbed a bank. You know. Some one opened a rubber ball and bounced all over the place. Right, yeah. one opened a bakery, you know, and had a nice life. It's, <laughs> it's all good. Well, uh, any party shots, Eric? Or no, straight? I think that's good. I think it was a good wrap up too. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I hope this was stimulating for those who listen to it. As always, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, if you found today's episode stimulating, you know, subscribe and share and do all the other kind of stuff. If you have any questions, please send us an email at uh, ginandtantra at gmail.com. Uh, I just checked the email inbox today. And so we actually do have some emails in there from some uh, from some listeners and also from some uh, other kind of folks who are, you know, doing their their uh, advertising thing. We, we love it all. All of it. Bring it. We like it. So uh, for Eric, this is Daniel. Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace.